So by the end of today, you will have used approximately 16,000 words. Did you know that? It's pretty much the daily average of words spoken by the average man and woman, either today or most likely tomorrow. You will have consumed approximately 100,000 words, or as computer techies like to say, 34 gigabytes of content. In other words, in a 24-hour period, 100,000 words will cross your eyes and ears via television, radio, internet, and texting. Now, I don't know this for myself because I'm not a techie, but they say that this 34 gigabytes of content could crash a laptop probably within a week, which makes me wonder then, it's no wonder that our souls often feel they're about to crash if we're taking in that much information. So our daily life is made up of words. It's in many ways we can't avoid it, but we can learn, I believe, to manage it. Think about it. You and I use words when we text. We use words when we email. We use words when we write letters or engage in conversation. When we post on Facebook or Twitter. We use words when we write a letter to the editor. Sometimes we use words we may regret. Other times we use words that offer encouragement and inspiration. Our daily existence cannot escape the use of words. So it would make sense, at least for me, that we be mindful of these words and how we use them and how we manage them. The wisdom writer in the book of Proverbs, which Lee read this morning, reminds us the importance of being good stewards of our words. Now this is what he has to say, and I'll share the verse again. Quote, death and life are in the power of the tongue. Those who love it will eat its fruit. Now, the writer personifies this muscular organ in our mouth called the tongue. And in essence, the writer is saying and referring to our mouth and the words that come forth. And what he says is we have the power, you and I, to offer words that are either life-giving or words that contribute to deadness. We can either lift someone up with our words or we can bury someone with our words. And Eugene Peterson, in his translation, the message uh, paraphrases it this way, quote, words kill, words give life. They're either poison or fruit. You choose. And that is the essence of stewardship and management. You and I are granted the power and the freedom to choose the words that we will use and how we will use those words. As I've said, stewardship isn't just about our wallets. It's about living well. And I think living well also involves Choosing well the words that we use with each other. In those moments when I've not chosen my words well, and there have been plenty of those moments, believe me, it's usually because I've not given myself enough space to reflect, enough space to choose what I want to say. So rather than choose, my words are often reactive. And when my words are reactive, they come from a place of frustration. They may come from a place of defensiveness. They come from a place of woundedness, sometimes a place of hurt sometimes a place of fear, even sometimes this place of insecurity, and I react. Sometimes I may rant, but I don't do, but what I don't do is I don't respond in a way that brings clarity, in a way that, that brings understanding, in a way that brings life to those I'm in conversation with and the rest of the world. And I think it's something that takes practice, and I don't mean practice like you would practice the piano or the violin, although that's not a bad idea. When I say practice, I mean a spiritual practice, something we undertake and engage in on a regular basis so that over time our souls and responses are shaped in such a way that it becomes normal. When you practice something and you do it over time repeatedly and repeatedly and repeatedly, it just simply becomes normal. It becomes a part of you. 
So over time, as we keep practicing, it becomes second nature. It literally becomes a part of how you and I respond. In this wonderful short letter to his Christian community, James, which is often traditionally known as the brother of Jesus, he offers wisdom to his readers with this intention of spiritually forming them into this community of people that live wisely within a culture that he sees often lives foolishly. Very early in his letter, James writes this, But anyone who needs wisdom should ask God, whose very nature, he says, is to give to everyone without a second thought. Now, this wisdom isn't facts. It's not theory. It's not just head knowledge. For James, wisdom is all about living well in life in the midst of a culture that doesn't know how to live well. It's applied knowledge. It's moving theory out of our head, and it's moving into it how we live and how we show up in this world. That's what wisdom is. Am I living wisely? Am I living well? So how do we live wisely in a world where we're bombarded with 100,000 words and we average around 16,000 spoken words a day? Well, James offers three very simple uh, spiritual practices, and this is what he has to say. Again, reiterating what Lee read, quote, Know this, my dear brothers and sisters. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to grow angry. I'm going to take these in reverse order. First, slow down your anger. I think that's the first thing James says. And this begins with understanding anger. You heard me say this before, but I want to underscore it. Anger is really a secondary symptom of a primary response. And those primary responses usually include a sense of feeling hurt, a sense of feeling wounded, betrayed, even rejected. Sometimes we feel a loss of power. Sometimes we feel attacked. But any combination of these, we experience anger within. And that part of our brain, which is often called the amygdala, or which is often called the lizard reptilian brain, there's that part of our brain that deals with it with fight or flight, and we go into action. And we either avoid the situation altogether through flight, or we come out fighting, if not literally, at least with our words. And to be honest, we never really completely take flight or get away from our anger, because anger that's not dealt with gets buried. And as I like to say, anger that gets buried often leaks. And it leaks into the groundwater of our soul. And usually the preferred choice of dealing with our anger in that way is what I call passive aggressiveness, or what counselors call passive aggressiveness, which is really a form of anger that's kind of cloaked in niceness. Here in the South, we call it, bless your heart. <laughs> See? It's all natural. You look real nice today, bless your heart. And there's, there's something humorous about that, but there's something really honest about that. We're afraid of anger. We don't know how to metabolize anger. We were told anger is wrong. We were told that you shouldn't get angry, but we do get angry, and anybody who says they never get angry is not telling you the truth. What do we do with that anger, and how do we process and metabolize that anger? James says, slow down our anger. Pump the brakes on anger. And how I do that for myself is I do this honest self-assessment, and I ask myself a few questions. Why am I feeling irritated? What's causing me this anger? Why are, where do I feel hurt? Where do I feel wounded? Where do I feel rejected? Where do I feel insecure? It's so important that we attend to our own inward woundedness and pain so we don't end up spraying this all over each other. It takes courageous self-awareness. And you can do a whole 
series on anger, but I think anger is so much a part of our life that we don't realize it. Because woundedness and rejection and sense of insecurity and feeling attacked and issues of power struggle are so much a part of who we are. You know, they say that we live in a culture of rage, kind of in a culture of outrage. We live in an angry period. And I think we're killing ourselves physically and emotionally with all of this. Anger will shorten your life. It really will, because it's one of the number one causes of high blood pressure. This is why managing words becomes so key, because it's from that anger come our words, and one leads to the other. So for the moment, let's just say this, what James says, pump the brakes on anger. Slow down your anger. Take time to reflect. Take time to ask yourself the question or the questions, what's going on inside of me? The second thing James says is reflect before you speak. He describes it this way, slow to speak. And I believe it's essentially the same thing. To be slow to speak is to take time to reflect before you speak. When we're slow, we pay attention to what's going on around us and within us. We're choosing to respond rather than react. We create enough space for understanding, while at the same time we're working hard at contributing to the conversation rather than just quickly offering up our opinions. So to be slow to speak means I take the time to weigh my words, and I ask myself these questions. Will these words add to the conversation, or will it take away from it? Will these words bring greater clarity, or will they shut down further understanding? Will these words raise the level of respectfulness, or will they feel demeaning and condescending? Now, I'm not saying I go through these questions all the time in that order, but what I've noticed is that when I slow down my speaking, in other words, when I take time before I speak, I'm much more mindful of what I want to say and what I want to contribute in that moment. And the third is simply this, be quick to listen. Now, these are James's words, but I love the way Eugene Peterson puts it. He translates it this way, lead with your ears. When we lead with our ears, we are more interested in listening and understanding than we are in making our point and winning this conversation contest. As the old saying goes, seek first to understand, then to be understood. What's the temptation? The temptation is, I want to make sure you understand me first, and then I'll take time to understand you. But the flip side is, seek first to understand, then to be understood. To lead with your ears is to make listening a priority. To lead with your ears is to make understanding your first priority. To lead with your ears helps us pump the brakes on our anger as well as slow down our speech. Because when we slow, when, when we're leading with our ears, everything else becomes secondary. I think one of the greatest gifts we can offer one another in this word-soaked world is a listening presence. And this presence doesn't feel the need to offer advice or opinions or suggestions or even counsel. To be a listening presence is to offer a space where a person can simply experience the gift of being heard and validated. Douglas Steer is a Quaker um, author years ago who wrote this, quote, to listen to one another's soul uh, to listen, he says, is to bring another, another soul into a condition of disclosure and discovery. And it may almost be the greatest service that any human being ever performs for another. That's a powerful statement. That when we listen, we are literally listening another person's soul into disclosure and discovery. Have you ever noticed that if you give someone just enough space, often they come up with their own solution? If you give them just enough space, they come up with their own self-awareness. If you give enough space, they will discover 
things. In a recent article um, titled, This Political Moment, A Way Forward in a Divided Age, there's an author by the name of A.J. Sherrill that writes this, quote, discipline yourself to speak less and listen more. I sometimes imagine a cloud over my head that's displaying my word count in any given situation. It would be embarrassing for my word count to be noticeably larger than the clouds over everyone else's head. And then he adds this, you cannot grow in curiosity without increasing your willingness to listen. Consider the invitation that you do not have to share your opinion all the time. Love begins with listening. And by the way, this isn't just how to handle political conversations. It's really about how we become good stewards of our words and how we manage well the 16,000 plus or minus words we're going to use each day. It's important because, again, let me go back to the writer of Proverbs. In our words, he says, we hold the power of life and death. Our words can either kill the spirit of another person or they can bring life to the other person. It's our choice. So why not choose well? It's this way in relationships. It's this way in friendships. It's this way in casual conversations. It's this way wherever we go, wherever we choose to use words. One final story. Author and pastor uh, Trevor Hudson, he tells us, Wonderful story, a Jewish tale. <coughs> Excuse me. It's set in a small Eastern European town. There's this local inhabitant has continually slandered the rabbi. So one day, realizing his wrongful behavior, he asks the rabbi for forgiveness. And he offers to perform any penance required to make amends. Well, the rabbi says to him, okay, so here's what I want you to do. I want you to fetch a feather pillow from the home, your home, cut it open, Scatter the feathers to the wind and return. Well, the man followed the rabbi's instructions to the letter. Then he came back and he asked, all right, he says, am I now forgiven? Well, then the rabbi said, you have to do just one more thing. I want you to go back home. I want you to go gather all those feathers back up. That's impossible, the man protested. The wind has completely scattered them. The rabbi said, exactly. Although you truly wish to correct the evil you've spoken, he said, it is as impossible to repair the damage done by your words as it is to recover these feathers. And then Trevor Hudson adds these words. Like the feathers scattered to the wind, we cannot regather the harmful words we speak. Once they go forth, they echo repeatedly in the lives of those to whom they are spoken and they determine how they, how they themselves will think and speak. We cannot underestimate the damage that a loose tongue causes. It can destroy confidence, tarnish reputations, spread rumors, split families, and divide communities. And by the way, as I was reading that quote, it occurred to me, you know, there's probably some of us sitting here that have been hurt or damaged by hurtful words. And the thing with those hurtful words is we can't get rid of them. They lodge themselves in our soul and our heart. And we just hear them over and over and over again. And my prayer is somehow those words become dislodged. And you hear other words like God saying, this is my beloved son or daughter in whom I'm well pleased. I realize there are some of you here, probably like me, who have said words like feathers thrown to the wind, and you've said them recklessly, or you've said them 
reactively, and I've done that in numerous times, and I've done it in a couple specific occasions. I cannot get those feathers back. I can't get those words back. But I can do one of two things. Number one, I can learn from that, which I have, hopefully. The second thing is I can choose my words well. I can choose them I could choose them in a way that's better and manage them well. The writer of Proverbs again reminds us this. Words kill. Words give life. They're either poison or they're fruit. You choose. And that's the essence of it. You and I choose. So what will our words be this week?